This podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by HCJ Contacts. Okay. So for those who are joining us for the first time, welcome HCJ.tech member of Moore's Rule in Asia Pacific. So we're going to have our Moore's Rule and colleagues in the Philippines join us for what I'm sure will be a very interesting conversation about international taxes uh, from, I mean, international taxes in general when it comes to the Philippines, but a U.S. Uh, Philippines perspective in particular, trying to demystify the sometimes confusing world. There's so much misunderstandings out there. So I'm hoping that we'll inject a healthy dose of sanity into an otherwise quite interesting conversation, nonetheless. So yes, this is being recorded. So if you don't want your image to be reflected in the recorded video, all you need to do is keep your camera switched off. We do have allowance for Q&A at the end. So we have some questions that we're gonna kind of talk through. And if you'd like, just feel free to key your uh, questions in the, the, the box below if you're on Zoom or one of the other chat boxes if you're in a, one of the other platforms as this is being live streamed into. So without any further ado, I'll introduce uh, Myra and Ali Ali. And Myra and Ali Ali, would you like to introduce yourselves, please? Hi, good evening, good afternoon, everyone. So Hi. I'm Aleli, one of a uh, tax partner from SCPR, Susan Corrigio Parani and Company. So mm -hmm. I have with me Ms. Myra Oliva, our uh, partner also on tax. Good evening, everyone. Okay, all right, short and sweet. Yeah, we like that. All right, so let's jump in. So, you know, there's some questions that I think that you, when I'm speaking with clients, it, it just pops up all the time. So I just thought I'll just throw those in. The first thing is the tax system in the Philippines. Is it territorial or not? Where, where does it sit? Is it worldwide tax or is it territorial tax? I'm sure it's somewhere in between, but could you use that as a, like a jump off point to kind of like educate us as to how it works? Either of you is fine. Yes, I discussing the registration, investment, and taxation of foreign individuals and corporations. Okay. Right. So, is it territorial tax or worldwide tax? Um. Well. Um. Uh, for um. For the Filipinos, uh, uh, those who are resident and citizens of the Philippines are taxed mm -hmm. worldwide, but if you are not your resident uh, if you are just a resident of the philippines mm -hmm. uh you will but you are not a citizen or you are called an alien so um a foreigner in simple terms you are taxed only uh within the sources or uh with all your earnings in the philippines only so that is the difference between the two types of uh income earners so okay. for you to be taxed worldwide, mm -hmm. you need to be a resident and a citizen of the Philippines. Okay, fantastic. So ju just to be clear, 
uh, you, there's similar terminology in the Philippines that is used in the U.S. Uh, of course, I guess because of the the history. So there's a concept of an alien. There's a concept of a resident alien, non-resident alien, and so on. Right. So if someone is a, a citizen of the Philippines, as you said, I'm just making sure that I got it correct, and they're based in the Philippines, they will be taxed in their worldwide income. However, if someone is resident in the Philippines but they are not a citizen, they're taxed on the ter on the income only arising from within the Philippines. The foreign source income is generally speaking untouched. Am I correct in saying that? Yes. Okay. So this leads me to my second question. The concept of a, a place of effective management or in some jurisdictions have been known as nexus or if you're talking about treat, uh, tax treaties, the idea of a permanent establishment. So let's say that someone has a company set up in, let's say in the US or it could be Singapore, Hong Kong, whatever. So they have a, a company set up elsewhere outside of the Philippines and they run that company from within the Philippines. So, you know, it doesn't matter where the income is collected, whether it's into a Filipino bank account or into a Hong Kong bank account. The point is that they're running that company from within the Philippines. My question is, is that company subject, generally speaking, of course, there'll be nuances, but generally speaking, is that company subject to taxes by the BIR? Um, so yeah. the company is situated here in the Philippines, am I right? No, so that's that's the thing that I this know. is a common thing that we so the company is incorporated it's outside. It's incorporated elsewhere, but they're running it. The team that's running it is sitting in Manila. Oh, so there is a team that is are uh, running the business here in the Philippines. So I think there is what we call a permanent establishment that whenever uh the the uh foreign company operates here in the Philippines by mm -hmm. either employees or office. Mm -hmm. So that is considered a permanent establishment, which made them taxable and liable here in the Philippines. Absolutely. You don't, I mean, this comes up all the time. I actually had this guy got upset with me. He, uh, <laughs> I'm sure he's not listening because he's upset with me. So he incorporated a company in, uh, both Hong Kong and I think it was in Taiwan, but his main thing was in Hong Kong. And he flew in, this was during COVID, he flew into the Philippines and he's running this company from the Philippines. He didn't leave. And I said, you know, he, he, he came in for a consult and I said, hey, you're running your company from the Philippines. Chances are, I mean, I, I know we can get into a further conversation about who's going to find out and how they're going to know, but just being completely honest and following the law, if it is you're running that company from the Philippines, you need to have a conversation with the BIR. And he got upset with me, but you, you absolutely, I'm glad that you, you're echoing those sentiments. It is commonly misunderstood. People seem to think that just by the mere act of incorporating a company somewhere else in Timbuktu and the Cook Islands or whatever, that they can go somewhere else and then be completely tax-free. So I'm you know glad we clarified that. Another, uh, issue that comes up pretty often are retirement people who retire in the philippines so they live off foreign pensions whether it be pensions from the u.s pensions from australia pensions from the uk uh, i think you kind of answered that when you 
responded to the first point just to but just to kind of make sure it's crystal clear would the foreign pensions be subject to tax when they are received by the retiree in the philippines sorry question uh can you can you repeat the question sure no problem at all so someone has retired and then one of the visas that allow them to live in the Philippines, so the retirement visa. They're, they're still receiving a pension from Australia or from the US or from the UK. And it's being paid into the Filipino bank account from you know, the foreign financial institution. When they receive that pension in the Philippines, is that pension free of tax to the Philippines? So um, for the retirement, I think whatever they earn, the, the, the law is clear that whatever they earn here in the Philippines. But mm -hmm. if it is coming from the other uh, countries, I don't think that it would be taxable here also. Okay, absolutely. Uh, and this is, this is consistent with, you know, what we also hear from other credible sources that retirement, again, mm -hmm once it's not arising from within the philippines and it's arising from outside and of course that person you have to assume that person did not take filipino citizenship and because that may make it a, a bit more uh complicated but let's assume that they're just here in a visa they're a long-term resident that pension should be free of tax okay wonderful another question of course, you know, people move to the Philippines and some of them might be quite entrepreneurial, right? And they see a business opportunity in the Philippines. Generally speaking, can a foreigner form a company in the Philippines? Um, Aleli, can you answer? I think um, uh, uh, Ms. Aleli has prepared a deck. Okay. Can she okay, present sure. it to you? Absolutely. Let me just okay. Thank share you. screen. Go for it. Dazzle us. Yeah. Um, yes, Lauren. Uh, can you repeat the question, please? I was asking about foreigners coming to the Philippines. Are they legally able to form a company in the Philippines? Um, yes, it can be a one-person corporation or yes. uh, the four types of foreign corporation, the this, um, representative office. Yes. Um, okay. Yes. So can you, okay, so, go ahead. I'm sorry, you finish. Yes. The representative office or the, the branch office, regional operating headquarters or the regional area headquarters. Okay, great. And and especially that one person company is a, a relatively new development in the Philippines, right? Before that. Yes, I will discuss yeah. it later. Oh yeah. Could you could you talk us through the process of forming a company then as as we're on it? Uh, yeah. Let's just I know there are a lot of options. Let's stick with the one person company. Could you walk us through what does that involve, please? Um one person corporation actually. Um is, can you show uh, the deck display? Sorry. Uh, uh, could yes, you show yes, them yes. Uh, you, what you have prepared earlier? Okay, great. Thank you.
Okay, yeah, see it. Yes, it's already visible. Yeah, we can see it here. Okay. For uh One person corporation is a business entity with just one um, stockholders. The single stockholder is also a director and a president of the company. So for the foreign corporations, we have branch office, representative office, and regional operating headquarters. So um, one person corporation, as mentioned earlier, has a single uh, with single stockholder or sole director and president. So within 15 days from the issuance of um, certificate of incorporation, uh, the treasurer, corporate secretary, and other officer must be appointed. And the nominee and alternate nominee can take over the management as a director or president upon death or incapacity of stockholders. Who can form an um, OPC or one-person corporation? It's a natural person or uh, foreign uh, foreigners who wanted to invest in the Philippines with limitations in areas of investment, especially or completely restricted from foreign in involvement as are specified in the foreign investment negative list. So who cannot form or allow to form an OPC. These are bank, non-bank, financial institution, quasi bank, trinid, trust, insurance companies, publicly listed companies, non-chartered government-owned controlled corporation, a natural person licensed to exercise a profession for purposes of exercising his profession. So what are the other features of an OPC? Or one-person corporation. It has a limited liability of uh, debts and obligation. Any personal or external asset is separate from the entity. The uh, corporations are allowed to perpetually exist in no minimum capital requirements. So the other documents required to register are articles of incorporation, um, written consent from the nominee and alternate nominee, other requirements are proof of authority to act on behalf of the trust or estate, foreign investment application form, affidavit of undertaking to change company name, and tax identification number for, for Filipino single stockholder, and tax identification number or passport number for foreign stockholder. So for foreign corporations, we have branch office, Branch office are uh, foreign carries out the business activities of the head office and derives income from the host country. While the representative office handles activities not limited to information dissemination and promotion of the company's product as well as quality control of product. Also deals with directly with the clients of the, of the parent company but 
but does not derive income from the host country. For the regional operating headquarters, is a foreign business entity allowed to derive income in the Philippines by performing qualifying service to the affiliates, subsidiaries, or brands in the Philippines, in the Asia-Pacific region, or other foreign markets. For the regional or area headquarters, is uh, act as an admin administrative branch of a multinational company engaged in international trade, which principally serve as a super Super, supervision, Communication, and Coordination Center for each subsidiary branches or affiliates in Asia-Pacific region and other foreign markets. And it, also, it does not in, um, derive income in the Philippines. So the ways to register in uh, Securities and Exchange Commission is uh, they are open for online filing or online registration with minimum requirements of proposed business name articles of incorporation depending on um, the requirements for registration fees depending on the capital contribution so the application for license licensing of foreign corporation are exempted in the uploading of documents process but the submission of um, four sets of required documents to the selected sec processing office will be done within 30 calendar days from the from the date of payment of processing fee so once the the application is approved the the sec will issue certificate of incorporation okay. okay so so it, it okay um as we were saying at the beginning you know this whole idea of a one person company is a huge step forward for the philippines in terms of ease of doing business because before that you'd need like four or five shareholders last directors and it was quite cumbersome uh i would imagine even though the the picture that you paint makes it makes you think that you know it's quite a smooth process i would imagine that anything to do with the sec and the bir tends to be uh what's the right word to use it tends to be challenging sometimes so i i, I would imagine that you would still benefit from using uh, a local advisory team like yourself rather than someone trying to figure it out on their own am i correct in saying that Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And basically, uh, I, of course, it all depends on what the person's trying to do, whatever. But generally speaking, how much would the cost of incorporating uh, a one-person company be if it is you guys are, are helping a client with the process? Generally speaking, I know it can vary. Oh well, generally, um, we uh, uh, offer services at the minimum price of. At least 20 to 25 to 30,000 to set up a business here in the Philippines. So that is from end to end. Okay, all right. That's 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 great. So between 20 and 30,000 pesos. And of course, the rules are very specific as to what sorts of activities uh, a foreigner is allowed to engage in, a foreign owned company is allowed to engage in as opposed to a local company. Uh, in terms of licensing requirements and so on, they, they, you know, they're very, very particular. Am I correct in saying that as well? 
yeah, uh, same with uh, other foreign uh, entities or corporations. They are also limited uh, as yeah. to what kind of industry they are allowed to put put up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, could you say a few words, uh, while we're on the idea of a company, could you say a few words on the PESA regime? Not, not too much detail, because I know that's a, like a, a huge thing on its own. But, you know, just basically, what is it about? I'm sorry? Uh, could you say a few words about the PESA regime? PESA, Miss Lee? Yeah. Mm-hmm. For the PESA entity, they are um, exempt and uh, or they, they may required to re- register or apply for uh, for zero rating um, certification. Okay, so generally speaking, uh, the Philippines has created certain special economic zones that allow 100% foreign ownership of companies. And typically, of course, the exceptions and, you know, there's a lot of variation to it. But typically, these will be companies that are focused on export. So not necessarily making money from within the Philippines, but using the Philippines as a base to to export some sort of product. And and so as a result of that, they may get certain incentives, which may include tax tax breaks. Is is that a fair synopsis summary of it? Is that something that your firm gets involved in or not, not really? Not yet. No. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, another question. FATCA. Uh, FATCA and, and CRS. So there's these are two frameworks for information exchange. One is the Foreign Accounts Task Compliance Act, which means that financial institutions in the Philippines would report the activity of either individuals in the Philippines that have banking or financial, not just banks, but brokerage accounts or maybe some big insurance policies at the investment funds or whatever. If it is they believe the the owner or the manager of this of the account is US exposed. So they either have a US passport or green card, the banks, you know, the B BDO Bank of the Philippine Islands or whatever, they're obligated to report that to the ah, oh, I can probably just uh, stop the share screen. Yeah. So let's go back to, well, let's go to the whiteboard and then stop share. Okay. Right. So under FATCA, they're deliberately, they're required to report the activity of anyone in the Philippines who's doing some sort of financial activity, which, and the person is US exposed. So that's that. And the Philippines has signed an agreement with the United States that facilitates that exchange of information. Now, there's another one called the CRS, which is similar in that the common reporting standard is another framework for exchange where it's, you know, it's multilateral where the Philippines or other nations around Asia. So, for example, you know, Singapore or Indonesia or whatever. So, Malaysia, they signed Vietnam. They've signed these arrangements where... If an account in a financial institution 
is owned or managed by a foreigner, let's say it's someone from Australia, the bank or the through the taxi office would share those records with Australia or New Zealand or the UK or whatever. But my understanding is that the Philippines has not signed CRS. Can you comment on that? Is that something you're aware of? Um, uh, we're not hundred percent. Uh, we don't. We uh, I don't know. Um, hundred percent. Uh, about the FATCA and the agreement between, mm -hmm. uh, the U.S. and the Philippines. But, uh, mm -hmm. as far as I'm, as I know, uh, the Philippines is still um, uh, um, is still um holding on to the Data Privacy Act. So I'm not sure how extent how uh, what is the extent of the disclosure uh, is being done by banks to us so i'm not sure yet yeah so i think that one so the one with the us is fine in that uh the 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 philippines did agree and of course because of the historical relationship with the united states it was kind of like one of the early adopters that the, you know the Philippines has the share information with the US. So I think the question was about the other one which is it's based on the FATCA arrangement which is called the common reporting standard of the automatic exchange of information. So that one is just like the FATCA is an exchange of information with the US, the CRS or the automatic exchange of information is the rest of the world. So I was just curious as to whether there's been any discussion. So when I last checked, uh, I think last year, uh, I think the Philippines was, well, the year before, sometimes in COVID, I don't think the Philippines was involved. But yeah, I would imagine that that situation is probably unchanged. As you, as you pointed out, the Philippines does hold fast to its, its uh, financial secrecy rules. And as, this, as at this point in time, they decided not to, to proceed in that. Okay, another question is around control foreign corp. And I think we've had this conversation previously with, with regards to uh, another client. The, the idea that in other jurisdictions, so let's say Australia or Japan or the US, of course, Europe, the rules around control foreign corp. So like if there's a, a Filipino company and they have a subsidiary in, let's say, Singapore or, you know, Malaysia or something like that. If if it, in in some other jurisdiction, so let's say it were an Australian company, and they had a subsidiary in Singapore, a fully owned subsidiary, they because that's deemed to be a controlled foreign corp. Therefore, the the tax office in Australia may have something to say about the taxability of what happens in Singapore, even though it's a separate company. Same with Indonesia. So if an Indonesian company has a subsidiary in Malaysia or Singapore, they, the subsidiary, even though it's a separate legal entity in law, may have some tax responsibilities back to Indonesia. As far as we're aware, there are no CFC or no control foreign corp rules for Filipinos, Filipino companies that have subsidiaries elsewhere. Am I correct in saying that? 
uh, as far as I know, yes, you are correct. Um, I have uh, based on um, uh, the tax laws, I haven't mm-hmm. um, encountered uh, corporations being or uh, affiliates or subsidiary subsidiaries of Philippine companies outside mm-hmm. the Philippines are being taxed. Um, together or here in the Philippines, the income from uh, the income earned by those uh, um, companies outside the Philippines were not being taxed here in the Philippines. Okay, fantastic. Uh, another, another relatively new development, at least in the in the greater scheme of things, has been transfer pricing. So even though there may not be any CFC rules. If there are related party transactions, so let's say a Filipino company as a related entity, related being common ownership, for example, with uh, a company in, let's say, Hong Kong or Singapore, especially in a lower tax jurisdiction, the BIR is now insisting on transfer pricing documentation uh, without going out. It's, it's quite complex sometimes but you know do you want to comment on just very very high level on how that works with you know with the philippines the br um uh last 2013 the brr has released um regulation about transfer pricing guidelines and then mm-hmm. um uh, uh a few we- a few years back uh it has been revived and uh it has been implemented uh mandating taxpayers to report mm-hmm. or sub- submit a form or BIR form or return um, indicating their uh, um, relationship, foreign or local relationship mm-hmm. uh, in the Philippines. And then it was later revised to um, to certain um, companies with a particular th- threshold. Mm-hmm. So um it has been implemented uh since um Slay, can you provide can you help on the detail since, since 2019 the related party transactions are uh, disclosed on the financial statement audited financial statement and also are required to submit um bir forms to declare the related party transaction mm. And as you pointed out, there, there's thresholds involved. So I think the thresholds are pretty high, like 150 million pesos and 19 million pesos. So in US dollars, this is way over like uh, one and a half, three million dollars. So it is, you know, for, for the larger companies and doesn't really impact SMEs. Is that is there a fair statement? Yeah. Yes. Um. Actually, the primary required for the uh for the declaration of the related um party transactions are included the large taxpayer and mm-hmm. uh other uh registered to the Bureau of Investment. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. And and um, so last question in terms of what I have prepared about BIR enforcement. You know, like there's certain 
certain tax offices that tend to be more aggressive than others. So like in South Asia, when people think of like a really aggressive tax offices, I think everybody thinks about India because they do some quite interesting things. Also, Indonesia can be quite aggressive. You know, in the greatest scheme of things, what what is what is the what is what is your experience with enforcement from the BIR? Are they pretty aggressive? Do they welcome negotiation? Uh, are they reasonable when you approach them with certain things? Are they do they play hardball, take things to court? You know, what what is your experience? What what is your general perspective? Well, generally, generally, BIR is aggressive. Okay. Especially nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some of uh, the uh, some of our dealings with them, there there are some like for example during an assessment or audit, um, some of the findings are refutable. They are up for negotiation as long as uh, you are uh, there are full documentation available. So as long as there are uh, full support, invoices, ORs, mm -hmm. contracts, etc., then um, uh, everything else will be refutable and will be negotiable. So, but they are aggressive. So you're saying that it's super important. Uh, yes, they're really aggressive now because, of course, like most countries in the world, post especially post the pandemic, you know, money is uh, it's uh, an important issue. You know, there are holes in balance sheets to be plugged. So I think everybody's picked up the pace. So you're saying like it's very important now to make sure you have your official receipts, you have your contract, you have you engage in proper record keeping yes, in order yes. to be able to answer questions as as quickly and as accurately as possible. Yes, compliance is always um, important mm -hmm. here in the Philippines. So mm -hmm. that's one of the things that one was um, who wanted to establish or set up a business here in the Philippines must consider full compliance with the tax rules and regulations. Okay. And what about, you know, the people who come to, you, Philippines has traditionally attracted people who would describe themselves as digital nomads. So these are people who are basically freelancers. So they're able to work independently. They may not even be employees to any company. They just may be independent contractors. They get uh, uh, like a, a short project to do. They do the project, they hand it over and that's it. So, and you see a lot of that. Well, at least I haven't really been back and moved around since since the pandemic. But before the pandemic, you had all these co-working spaces in Manila and Cebu, and you go in and you see people from all over the world doing projects for, for clients from all over the world as well. So if someone is spending a lot of time in the Philippines so that let's say they spend more than 183 days, so they may be considered tax resident, and they are freelancers, but they are working from these co-working spaces. They're working from, you know, their Airbnb or, or, or you know, whatever they, whatever accommodation they may have in the Philippines. Would they be taxable in theory on that income? Should they be considering paying taxes to the Philippines on that income? 
And if so, how would they go about registering themselves as freelancers and independent contractors? Um, as to uh, the co-working spaces, I'm not sure if there is a specific ruling if, uh, mm -hmm. if the co-working spaces would be considered as uh, a foreign uh, uh, establishment or what. But at least at the minimum, uh, the any resident or any alien or any uh, foreigners who work here in the Philippines for more than 180 days is required or is considered already engaged in business and mm -hmm. here in the Philippines and is required to file uh, tax returns and pay the juice or pay the tax juice that is um, uh, based on the income he earned, he or she earned here in the Philippines. So, mm -hmm. of course, uh, he or she still needs to um, register mm -hmm. as a business here or as a professional here in the Philippines. So that is a little tricky as some of the professionals do not uh, really stay here for long or they may they may have um, stayed here for more than 180 days, but they are not usually here for a year. So that's, mm. that's one tricky um, thing that is still, uh, I think, it's a great area, but um, if it, if you if you will follow the rules, so strictly speaking, then uh, uh, the foreign national who is engaged in trade or business here in the Philippines must file an income tax return mm -hmm. here in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. mm, okay, yeah, and and it, and it is the same for most of the jurisdictions across Southeast Asia. Yes. You may have a visa that allows you to stay, and therefore, you may, and you know, actually be tax resident according to the rules because you've done the time. But then, if you say, "Hey, I want to do the right thing. I am working remotely from this country, so I want to register and pay my fair share." The process for doing that can be, as you said, quite challenging, and it's not very straightforward at all. Okay, as but. I want to go back to another point you raised previously that you said that the, the BR is becoming more aggressive. So are, are you seeing more of a specific type of enforcement action? And what specifically are they looking at now that they perhaps didn't pay that much attention before? Or is it just everything? They're looking at everything. Are they like focusing on, let's say, the top three things that they seem to be more sensitive about right now than they were previously? Well, I guess um, it's still corporations. They are still focused mm -hmm. on corporations. And then uh, as to uh, professionals, they are being mm -hmm. encouraged by the VIR to comply with the tax rules and regulations. But I think for most of the professionals or uh, sole proprietors who had been on their uh, threshold for, for audit, well, those who are high high income earning individuals, they're one of those um uh audit targets by the DRR. But for the small, small freelancers, um I don't think the VRR has yet um focused on them. It's all about corporations right now. Okay. Yeah. Understood, understood. Okay, so I've just had a quick look and I'm not seeing any more questions. So uh, 
on that note, if someone wanted to get in touch with you and your team, they want to set up a company in the Philippines, they want to find out more about taxes in the Philippines, what's the best way for them to reach you guys? Um, uh, they can reach us through our um, website. Mm-hmm. And they can search it sap-reach.com. Uh, we have a certain portion there for inquiries. Mm-hmm. They can send their inquiries there. Or they can uh, email us, or our office is located at um, uh, um, Philippine. Oh no, it's already Tech Night Hours in Ortigas, mm-hmm. 20th floor in Ortigas. And um, can be uh, most of our most of us are already on hybrid, so mm-hmm. they can reach us through email or mobile mm-hmm. contact mobile number. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. So just to repeat, scp.ph.ph.com. scp-ph.com. Okay, wonderful. Myra, Aleli, thank you so much for sharing your time and sharing your expertise with not just those who are uh, watching this wherever they may be, but those who would watch the recording afterwards because we're going to record this. And it's going to be uploaded on probably about 25 podcast platforms. So wherever someone will get their favorite podcasts, you know, um, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, SoundCloud, just basically everywhere. So <laughs> so you guys will be internet famous soon. <laughs> Thank you for your time. Have a good evening and see you next time. For having us here there. Thank you. Yeah. Bye-bye. So if you're a six, seven, or eight-figure investor, entrepreneur, or business owner who needs a tailor-made solution from a qualified team of professionals, we can help you achieve the international lifestyle, the freedom, and even the tax savings you're looking for. Visit us at htj.tax and live that international life.